week we'll talk about preparing for a technical data science interview. We have a special guest today, Luke. Luke is a co-founder of Neural AI, a company that specializes in recruiting data scientists and other AI professionals. He has over 10 years of experience working as a recruiter. And what is more, Luke is also a podcast host. Pleasure to have you. Pleasure to be here, man, for the second time. I feel like you and I, we just do podcast episodes with each other now. We really need to get other guests, I think. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I was going to mention that Luke is actually second time today. So Luke is one of our very first guests. I think he were like third or fourth, I don't remember. But last time I interviewed you, it was two years ago when Data Talks Club podcast just started. It's been a while. And yeah, before we actually start, I want to mention that the questions for today's interview are prepared by Johanna Fire. So thanks, Johanna, for your help. And let's start. So Luke, tell us what you've been up to since we spoke last time. And yeah, maybe also tell us a few words about yourself before that. Yeah, so um, maybe I can give you and the listeners a bit of background about me. So as you quite rightly mentioned, I've been in recruitment for uh, well over a decade now. So I've got the gray hairs and the crow's eyes feet to prove it. But historically, I used to help companies find data professionals, but more from kind of like a traditional BI, descriptive, analytics kind of focus. Um, but over the past 10 years, that's kind of transitioned and I've kind of worked with the market. So over the past maybe six years now, I would say that I've had three key focuses. So number one, machine learning or deep learning at the core of all of the engineering hires that I've made. And obviously that would encapsulate all of the other bits around that. So traditional data science or data engineering and everything else in between. I've worked pretty much exclusively with early to mid-stage startups. Don't do much in the corporate space anymore. As I say, I tend to work with smaller organizations that really need me. And then lastly, I do most of my work in Germany. I'd say that 90% of my work is in Germany. But since the pandemic, I've kind of broadened out to kind of Central Europe as a whole, but I've still got my kind of core client base in Germany. So yeah, that's me. But you're not based in Germany, right? No, I'm in Kent. If anyone knows where that is, it's a really beautiful part of the UK. So yeah, I don't know if you can see actually, but the background, I've just had the office renovated and stuff. So yeah, really happy about that. I'm just curious, how does it happen that the recruiters from the UK work in Germany? Well, this is a bit of a long story. <laughs> I'll try and condense it. You're not the only recruiter from the UK who works in Germany. Like It's quite a trend. I don't know actually many German recruiters. Yeah. So the story is, I'll try and condense this as much as I can. I don't know what year it was, but long story short, I was moving to Australia. I joined a company in Australia, and in the time period of me waiting for my visas to come, they were like, look, why don't you join us and our German business and help us do some business development and win some clients and do some recruitment in Germany and kind of the interim of you moving over to Australia. In that interim period, I met Rachel, who's my co-founder, girlfriend, and life partner. And uh, yeah, as I say, it got to a stage where I was like, well, I'm kind of moving to Australia and blah, 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 blah. So yeah, long story short, it kind of worked out that actually I just stayed in the UK and I really enjoyed working with German clients and German people in general. So um, so yeah, it just continued from there. That was a very condensed version, but yeah, serendipitous, I guess. But yeah, it was cool, man. Okay. Do you remember what we spoke two years ago? 
standing out as a data scientist was the topic, right? That was the topic, yeah. Yeah, the specifics, man, you're going to have to remind me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember best. But yeah, what you were up to these two years? I thought changed, apart from the new office stress. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, to be honest, dude, like not much has changed since we last spoke in terms of what I do on a day to day. Um, I think now as a individual and a business, I feel a lot more like embedded into the community. Like obviously I've been running the podcast, released a lot of content on a weekly basis. And I feel like I'm much more well known in the industry now than what I was three, four, five years ago. Or podcast, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of a big part of it as well. But I think largely when I used to work for other organizations that were a lot more corporate and bigger, um, I had to kind of be a recruiter for that business. But now I feel like I can be exactly who I am and all of my content and what I do and how I work with customers and people, it reflects that. Yeah, I feel like I'm just much more well-known in the industry now than what I was when we, we first spoke. But yeah, as I say, I think that's largely due to just being able to be myself and do what I do without having ultra amounts of pressure from directors and the organizations make placements at all costs. But I mean, on a day-to-day basis, man, I do recruitment and I work with my customers and we make placements and it's all really good fun. But yeah, as I say, it's been fun. I mean, did we talk at the beginning of the pandemic? I can't remember when we actually recorded that podcast, but that was probably the worst year of my recruitment career. It was two, two years ago. Yeah. So now it's 2023, right? It was 2021, January. Yeah. We'd probably just come out of the worst year of my recruitment career. And we were probably just stepping into the best year of my recruitment career. So, yeah, it's been fun, man. It's been good. So um, I'm happy to hear that. So tell us about your podcast. Yeah. So the podcast was spun off of in the midst of the pandemic, my job became pretty redundant. I mean, I didn't know many companies that were hiring and the ones that were, were definitely not using external headhunters to find talent. So for probably about nine months, I was like, shit, I just don't know what I'm going to do now because most companies don't want to use me and it's all I'm known for, right? So what what am I going to do? Um, so yeah, the podcast ran out of, look, in that time period, I need to do something for the community. Right now, I can't help them get new jobs. So what else can I do? And I've always toyed with the idea of running a podcast, but to be honest, it was kind of always like a side note for me. Like if I get time to do it, then it'll be something that I will do. But yeah, it kind of always got pushed to the side. So yeah, I thought 2020 was the best chance to kind of launch something like that. And yeah, I'm really glad I did. So it's really cool. Again, I just talked to AI, data science and machine learning leaders in Germany and Central Europe about their journey within the space that we will work in. Typically, I'll talk to like early stage founders and we'll talk about their journey from the first initial concept up to where they are today and their journey to get there. So yeah, it's going well, man. To be honest, like after the pandemic, work like completely exploded. So I had to take a bit of a backseat on the podcast for a bit, which was probably not my best decision because we got it up to a really good stage. And then I kind of dipped off because I was just so busy with work. And now we're gradually getting it back up there now. So we run everything on video now. And um, yeah, it's a slightly different angle than what we had before. But yeah, if anyone's keen, the difference between what you do and what I do is that yours is very practical, right? People can actually learn from the Data Talks podcast in one way, shape or form. 
my podcast is a little bit more about stories. So I really want to explain kind of the journey of organizations and give people an opportunity to kind of share their story, what the business does, and ultimately just like illuminate the companies that are working in the AI community in Germany. So yeah, if you're interested in stories, maybe not necessarily learning, but like interesting conversations, then it's probably cool to check it out. But if you want to learn stuff, stick with Alexi. <laughs> one does not exclude another, right? Yeah, for sure. I'm wondering if we look at the number of podcasts created over a year, like each year, and there must be a spike in 2020, right? Because this is where Data Talks about podcasts also started. Yeah. Probably everyone was like, okay, pandemic, what do we do? Yeah. Let's start it's probably like boredom had a bit to parts playing that right it's just something to do but <laughs> i don't know if it's just boredom but uh, i don't need to be connected maybe mm, yeah yeah well you said during the pandemic times you wanted to do something to, for the community but you couldn't help them get jobs so you decided to do a podcast but now you can actually help them get jobs right so how do you do this so clients typically work with me on positions that they find really difficult to fill. So um, traditional kind of data science positions, I don't get a lot of work in that kind of space anymore. Usually what happens with most markets is as new things come into the machine learning data science world, there are fewer and fewer people at the beginning of that kind of bell curve, right? Like that particular thing. So usually clients work with me right at the beginning of new things that are happening in the market. So to give you an example, like MLOps is a really hot topic for me right now. Most companies that I'm working with are looking for someone or people to help with like infrastructure and the operational side of ML. But if you ask me that, like the typical roles that I recruit for like five, six years ago, I'd say data scientists and big data engineers. So my role kind of transitions with the market. But yeah, customers work with me to find niche, hard to find people. And my role essentially is an intermediary between the customer and the individuals that I'm representing. So in a slightly different way than what most of the recruitment industry works like, I only work with two to three customers in one go. Um, I'm only one person, so I can't work with 100 customers in, at once, otherwise I just wouldn't be able to service them. But yeah, so I work with two to three customers at once, and I work really, really closely with them. So the way that I typically try and frame it with those customers is that I'm your embedded AI talent specialist for the time that we're working on a particular project together. But externally, with the candidates that I represent, I try and be as involved in the job search with the individuals that I work with as possible. So what I don't want to do is just be kind of like a, a job filterer for people to just send them job specs and just coordinate interviews. That's really not what I want to do. What I actually, this is going to sound a bit cheesy, but what I really want to kind of become and be known for is that I'm a semi-like career coach. <laughs> that does sound super cheesy, but ultimately, I think if you've ever worked with me, with me before, you'll know that I pretty much help you with every single stage of the process, be that the intro stage, be that technical, how to speak to VPs and like senior management, offer negotiation and closing um, pretty much I'll hold your hand through the entire interview process from the very, very get-go. Um, pretty much walk people through the stages within all of the companies that I've worked with. So yeah, if you've ever worked with me before, I hope you would agree with that. <laughs> but yeah, so as I say, I work pretty much in the middle between customers and, and candidates. 
But what I try to do is work really, really closely with the people that I work with. I cannot say publicly if I work with you. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, we probably should go through each of these, like you said, there is intro stage, technical stage, talking to management, negotiation. I definitely want to cover all that. But before that, I have a very interesting question. So now the market for all the tech jobs seems to be like, like it goes down, right? I mean, what I want to say is I see companies doing layoffs, uh, getting a job is harder. Now the market is shifting from the uh, candidates being a candidate's market to the company's market. Harder and harder to find. For you as a recruiter, what changed in the last six months? I can only talk from my own personal experience, but being really honest, I've not noticed any difference. Okay. Um, in big tech, yes, of course, everything's on fire at the moment. There's tons of layoffs happening and no doubt people are already affected by that. But the work that I do right now, honestly, it's not any different. I mean, this week I've brought on, well, I mean, there are potentially another two to three customers that want to work with me right now. So I'm still at capacity all the time. That said, you know, I don't work with everyone. So I might have a very small window on what the market actually looks like. But for me, though, man, like, I mean, the customers that I'm working with are still hiring. Um, they've got the funding to do so. Maybe I'm just lucky in the fact that the customers that I do work with are in really good positions. Like, no doubt, there's different stories across the whole market. But for me personally, it's pretty good. I mean, touch wood. I hope that continues. Um, but yeah, as I say, man, like right now, I mean, I feel like I'm in a pretty good position. And I feel like the clients I'm working with are in pretty good positions. So it's really difficult because I don't know the entire market, right? But this small subsection of the clients I work with and who I know are in the market seems fairly similar, bar a couple of little events that have happened. But generally, I can see the market kind of bouncing back within the next couple of like I've seen this happen throughout my career at pretty much every single company that I work with. You get huge layoffs. There's tons of shit on LinkedIn about the markets and fire and there's going to be a huge recession period and stuff. And then in six months' time, everything is kind of back to normal. So I'm not worried about what's happening out there, I guess, but um, maybe that's super naive and really ignorant. But yeah, from where I'm sitting right now, man, the market's still on fire, especially if you're good at what you do. I mean, there's always going to be opportunities if it's not there, it's going to be somewhere else, right? So yeah, I mean, from where I'm sitting, man, it seems pretty good. But I, people are probably shaking their head at me right now and thinking, well, you don't know what I know, but I don't. So yeah. Oh, it's good to be an optimist, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A blind, naive optimist. <laughs> so from what you said, the budgets are still the same, right? So they're not reducing budgets, so you the candidates can still get salaries, the same salaries they were getting previously. You still have clients, clients have money, they are in a good position. So for now, you don't see any business for it. I don't think we've seen the full like flow down effects of what's happened in the market. It's too early to say right now, right? Um, mm -hmm. So it could be a very, very different market in the next six months. Um, what I know right now is that not much has changed from my side. Um, so yeah, I'm not really seeing any kind of like trickle down effects just yet. What that looks like in six to 12 months, I'm not sure. 
Um, what about um, like maybe it became easier to close positions because there are more candidates on the market, or still for the positions you work on as hard as it used to be? Like nothing changed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> still hard, right? I don't think I would have a job if it became easy because like if there were a huge influx of candidates on the market that made me redundant people would get them directly right and they would just hire them directly but i think the true value in working with a headhunter is not necessarily the presentation of candidates it's much more about the kind of process ownership from end to end both from a client and from a candidate perspective so there might be more people on the market right now but then there's still the same amount of competition going after that talent so that doesn't change I mean, it's a bit messy right now, right? I don't know exactly how that's going to kind of transition over the next six to 12 months. But yeah, for me, I've really not seen anything where I'm like, oh shit, this is a big change. So to give you an example, when COVID hit, that was the biggest shock of my entire career where I was like, this is awful. We could potentially go out of business and I could run out of money. Um, right now, we're looking at the client pipeline that we have just what's happened like generally the energy in the market if anything i probably hear a little bit more from a candidate perspective that they're a little bit more apprehensive about going to startups and companies that don't necessarily have a route to profitability and there's a lot more questions that are focused towards like funding and stability and stuff like that that i didn't really get in 2021 well, i did but not as much as now so it's probably a little bit more kind of like risk on the side of the candidates right now. But generally, as I say, I compare everything to COVID now, right? And I'm just like, is it as bad as March 2020? No. So it's, it's not too bad. <laughs> I see. I see. Okay. Well, the topic today is a technical interview, right? Just interviews. And you said that you as a recruiter, you're quite involved in the interview process and what you do you help the candidates at every stage, which you mentioned introduction stage, then technical interview, then speaking with top management like VP, directors, and then finally the negotiation stage. So can you walk us through the stages? What happens at each stages and how do you help candidates there? Yeah, I just want to work out where we need to start with that so people don't get like kind of like overwhelmed with information because if we do the whole thing, so if we kind of break that down, I guess, and we're just in one stage at a time, because yep. personally, I think that there's different expectations for obviously all of those stages, right? And I think the prep needs to be associated to what we're trying to achieve in the individual stages. I think if we just make some assumptions now, right, because I'm going to talk really broadly and there are going to be some companies out there, but it's not going to make sense. And there are going to be some situations where they're a bit abstract and a bit left wing and... um I think the challenge with interviews is, is that if you've interviewed a hundred different companies, you'll probably get a hundred different experiences, right? Or at least 50. So take everything that I'm saying now with like a pinch of salt. And I think uh, I put a post out not too long ago about if anyone wants this document, then I'll happily send that to them. And if anyone wants to talk to me about it directly and ask me specific questions about specific interview processes, I'm more than happy to help. So anyway, that's a bit of a caveat, but I think the assumptions that I would make or that I've made, this is pretty much focused towards kind of junior to senior-ish level hires, right? Anything principal, lead, management, any of those kinds of hires, there's a different level of prep and different levels of expectations. So kind of push that to one side. 
Number two is that in the interviews that you're going to, you're actually capable of doing that role and it's a logical step. So if you're a junior engineer and you're prepping for a CTO role, I mean, you can prep until your eyes fall out, but that's probably not going to happen, right? So number two, the roles that you're interviewing for, you're capable of doing. It's a role that you want, not just an interview. And the process is fairly standard. I mean, what, three stages, intro, technical, final stage, senior management, VP-ish kind of interview. That's typically what I see, maybe two stages in the technical part, but generally that's the kind of process. And then, yeah, the last kind of assumption that I make is that you're working with someone who's semi-decent at giving you some information. So you're working with either a good recruiter, um, a good internal person, and a good HR person internally, or the manager that you're working with from a technical side of things is a good person or the founder or whatever. But you've got a contact that's associated to that business that you can strip information from in some sort of way. Not always the case, but nine times out of 10, there'll be someone in that chain that you'll be able to speak to, right? Does that make sense? I feel like I've rambled my way through that. Yes. But uh, maybe we can go to the actual stages, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Do you think they're fair assumptions though? But yeah, of course. So the intro meeting is obviously going to be obviously the first stage with all companies, right? That's with you, right? Mm, I don't class me as a stage in the interview process. So there's like stage zero, like the chat with you, the initial one. When you reach out to date, you say, hey, I'm working with this client. I have this awesome role. How about him? Right? Yeah. So that's like mm. you reach out, then you have a conversation. That's like stage zero. Then you understand, okay, the candidate wants to move to try this position, right? And then what do you do? You show the CV of the candidate to the company. They say, okay, let's uh, interview that person. And then you arrange the interview. And then this is where the introduction, the intro stage happens, right? Yeah, correct. I mean, the companies that I've worked with now, I've worked with them for quite some time. So usually I'll just book people in onto the diaries because I've got such a good understanding of what they're looking for. I'll send the CV as, you know, just to be polite and just be like, hey man, I'm booking this guy in with you. If you've got any questions, let me know. But I'm kind of at a stage now where the customers that I work with, I just know them inside out. So there's not really much guesswork in terms of the work that I do now. But anyway, yeah, exactly. So the way that you should look at me is that I'm a filter between the client, the end client, and the candidate. So I'm not an interview. Like for me, I really want to understand what makes you tick as a candidate, right? Because you might say some things to me that I think, do you know what, man, that's not going to work with this customer or that's not going to work and that's not the right role for you. So there's going to be better opportunities out there that will give you that kind of thing that you're looking for, right? And then vice versa, if there's parts about the cultural fit or if there's parts about the technical skills that I know that they definitely need that are going to be like an instant reject, then that's my job to not put forward people that are just totally irrelevant, right? So that's where I sit. Yeah, first stage is obviously always going to be the intro meeting, right? Again, there are going to be different ways that companies run this, but typically, what, 30, 40 minutes of conversation. And I guess the key thing that most people are trying to get to in the intro stage of an interview is, is there synergy between us as an organization the role that we have open and from a personal perspective, does this make sense, right? Um, that's kind of the main goal, but from both sides. I mean, if you've got any specific questions that you want me to answer about that. Yeah, like what does it look like? Is it uh, like, tell us about yourself? 
or can it's more structure? Well, the typical questions that I see in that are really broad, open-ended questions like that, right? But if we're talking about prep specifically, for me, I think it breaks down into three core elements. So number one, the person and character that you're going to be speaking to. Because ultimately, in an intro meeting, as much as it's about outlining the skills of who you are and what you do, it's about building the relationship with that person. Because if you get off a call with someone and you have that kind of internal feeling like, yeah, that's kind of the thing that we're looking for from both sides, but he, she was a dick, then that's not really going to go past that first initial stage, right? So point number one is about the character that you're going to be speaking to and the relationship between those people. I'm just trying to understand, like, how does it help me as a candidate? Like, uh, okay, I know that the person I will be speaking to is, I don't know, data science manager in this company. So what are my actions like? Do I research them on LinkedIn? What is interesting for them? Like, the way I tell my story, I use the same language that they would relate to, or how do I use this information? Yeah, so... There are two elements to that. So it's the pre-research and the immediate things that you do on the call with that person, right? So if I was going to interview with you, Alexei, I mean, you're a brilliant example of someone that you can actually research. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, it is difficult. But the first thing I do is I really try and understand the person that I'm going to speak to. So number one, I would ask the recruiter, the internal person that I'm working with, what's Alexei like? Like really, really simply, what kind of characteristics does Alexi have? What type of, uh, type of communication style has Alexi got? I'd really want to try and gauge who you are before we jump on the call so there's as little surprises as possible. So the person internally that you work with or externally as a headhunter, I would be stripping that person for information because I want to know that when I jump on that call, is this guy going to be an extroverted, hands-wavy-in-the-air kind of person? Is he going to be super direct and just get straight to the point? Like what type of character am I actually, actually going to be speaking to here? Because I think the key thing that you need to do in that scenario is you really need to kind of work with the person that you're talking to. So if we've got an ultra direct, straight to the point manager of something and you go in there and you want to kind of shoot the breeze, you're just going to annoy that person. But then equally, if it's the other way around and you're super direct and you just like want to get straight to the point and get to it, but the other person's like, hey, man, like, how's your day going? Like, yeah, what'd you get up to on the weekend? If you don't match or try to at least match the energy of the person that you're speaking to, there's going to be friction. And the point that I'm trying to make about researching the person before you actually jump into the interview is there are a lot of signals in terms of how people communicate. So it would be very easy to work about because you've got podcasts. So you can watch them and you can see how you can communicate, right? Doesn't mean I behave like that in the new area, right? You probably do. I probably do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would imagine you probably do. Maybe there would be a slight gear shift, but I would say that 80%, you're probably there. You're right. But anyway, so the way that people communicate online, it gives you a lot of signals about how that person is going to communicate in real life. So even the way that they would explain what their roles are on LinkedIn, for example, for me, I mean, I do this all the time, right? But if I jump onto a LinkedIn profile now and I'm making huge assumptions here, but like usually I can get a really good feel for that person before we even jump on a call. 
And then when we jump on, like, oh, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense, right? So just in terms of like their communication style, how they write about what they do, just their, their writing communication will typically fold over to who they are as a human being. So what's the point? Sorry, I'm rambling here. <laughs> but before the intro meeting, I want to really understand or try to gain as much information about the type of person that I'm going to be speaking to. Not about the topics and the content, because we can get that. You do this, right? Yeah. So I guess uh, in this case, when you're helping the candidate, when you're working with the client, you're helping the candidate, you already did this homework, right? So then you would tell the candidate, hey, this is the person you're going to speak to. Right? So this is their personality, right? So they prefer to be direct. Yeah. Get to the point, be concise. Right. So you, you do this, yeah. but let's say if uh, somebody is not as lucky to work with you, right? Somebody is going through a different process, then this is something they can do on their own, right? Take a look at the LinkedIn profile, look up that person in uh, Google, right? Maybe there are some cast appearances. Maybe there's, uh, I don't know, talks. Maybe there, there is something that can help to understand their personality. Yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong, this is not an exact science, right? So it's not something that if you follow this process, you're going to get it right 100% of the time because some people just don't even post on LinkedIn and they've got no online community, right? So how can you work out anything about that person? Online presence at all, right? Yeah, exactly. So like, don't get me wrong, but you want to use these as signals, right? So you don't want to make any like absolutes before we jump into that call. You want to think, oh, I think this is the type of person that he's uh, he or she is going to be like. So if you can kind of get to a stage where you're like, right, well, this is the type of person I'm going to be talking to. This is the type of character. This is the type of personality. You can start to adjust who or how you communicate to that person. Right? But the second part in terms of the intro meeting is you need to really quickly assess the person on the other end of the Zoom call or directly in front of you or on the phone call within literally seconds of speaking to that person. Because people will tend to communicate in the way that they want to communicate right so you ever have a zoom call with me i'm like hey how's it going <laughs> and that's how i communicate as a person so i'm full of emojis and i'm like super expressive and that kind of stuff right when someone links with me on that the calls are really like they do well right but when i have a call with someone and i'm like hey and they're like hello i need to change the way i am right now otherwise i'm going to be jarring for this person and they're going to think i'm a dick right so there's a, a website that I'll send, I'll put it on the document, but it's called 16 Personalities. It's essentially like a psychoanalysis of different personality types, different communication styles. I recommend it to anyone who's interviewing to really try to understand at least their own, but have a good understanding of what other people or who other people can be and how they like to communicate. Because the first initial 10 seconds of a conversation, if you don't pick up on that, and then you continue going down a road of jarring completely different energy level, be that one way or another, the call, again, I don't want to talk in absolutes, but nine times out of 10, people will be on the opposite ends of the kind of spectrum in terms of how they're trying to communicate to each other. So for me, I always try and work out the personality, character, and the person before I do any prep, because the way that you communicate to that person is going to be one of the most important things you can do. The content is obviously important, but if you deliver it in a way that doesn't land, it's kind of irrelevant. Except also, it's important not just for interviews, right? But pretty much everything else too. Yeah. I don't know, dating or whatever. Yeah. Or like, I don't know, meeting, networking, right? 
Yeah, exactly. There's probably been times in everyone's life where they've had a conversation with someone and they just instantly click. They're just like, we get each other. We're on the same wavelength, right? Probably they've got the same personality, right? Yeah. It's the same communication style because you're, you're singing from the same hymn sheet and you're communicating in a way that the other person likes to communicate and understands and it's natural. But in interviews, obviously you don't have the privilege of choosing who interviews you, right? So it's not like they're one of your friends or whatever. So you have to deal with the person in front of you. And I think that understanding the personality type of the person that you're talking to, doing your research about that individual will give you a, at least a good start, right? I took a look at the time and realized that the topic of this interview is technical interview, right? <laughs> yeah. I love the topic. Like this, uh, this is really interesting. Like the 16 personalities and like, you know, how you Anything else you want to mention on the intro meeting before we move on to the technique? Yeah, there's one more thing. So typically, you'll have standardized questions. Tell me a bit about you. What's your background? Tell me about some projects that you've worked on. What are you looking for? All the normal kind of everyday recruitment stuff, right? One more final thing on the intro call is, well, there's a lot more in the document, but one more for now. Um, I would highly recommend standardizing your answers to that and practicing them so they are really fluent and you can articulate who you are, what you do, why you're looking, projects you've worked on, examples of things that you've done in a just on demand. So if someone says, Alexi, tell me about a project that you've worked on that you're proud of. Cool. Here it is. It would be like an elevator pitch for pretty much everything, right? Like yeah. tell me about yourself, like I don't know, a bunch of projects you worked on. So you should have a story prepared for that like concise to the point where right? and if they ask for yeah so like the star methodology if no one's ever heard of that it's situation task action result um it's a good thing to kind of work towards but if you practice enough it can sometimes feel a bit rigid if you hey like this is the situation this is the task this was my action that's going to come across a bit a bit manufactured but if you can stick to that and wrap it into the normal way that you communicate. So you've done it so many times that it just becomes second nature. It's a good kind of framework to work to, I guess. But yeah, standardized question. You know pretty much what they're going to talk to you about and what they're going to ask you. It's going to be a get to know. There's going to be some standard questions. Get some good examples, work on them, have them so they're on demand, ready to go, and you come across really articulate. Because I think you don't want to get caught out on, hey man, tell me about you. I mean, I might. Like it would say last time I had interview was four years ago. I might be, oh, and then start like the story from my childhood. Probably not what they were. Yeah, exactly, ma'am. But yeah, so the intro meeting for me is like quite, um, that's one thing. Obviously, this is about technical interviewing, right? So, so what do we usually have in the technical part? Like it's like coding, theory questions, what else? Yeah, so I think probably there's mainly three maybe four key things in the technical thing number one binary questions what's the answer to this what is the correct answer to this thing number two what would you do or what if situations so what happens if this happens how would you deal with that example based questions so tell me about time that you did this and then lastly coding challenges, coding, like tasks and stuff like that, right? 
So yeah, that's typically what I see in the technical interview. But I mean, again, this is why we need to be fairly generic here is that most companies or all companies are quite different from how they run their interviews. So this isn't the blueprint of how it works, but generally there'll be some kind of like technical session in the middle. How companies frame that is different from business to business. What are typical questions that you see? Of course, companies are different. If you interview with 100 companies, you will have probably 100 different questions. But well, some of these questions will be probably similar. Like if you interview for a data scientist, you will see something that comes up. Right? So do you know what kind of questions they're usually kind of theory coding? Yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. It's very closely aligned to those four types of things, right? So again, all companies, and this is part of the prep, um, all companies will have different expectations on what they're going to speak to you about. So for me, I would never prepare for specific questions. I would practice questions in case they come up. But when it comes to preparation for technical interviews, what we need to do is really under or try to understand the expectations of the individual customers that we're, we're trying to work with, right? Or the individual companies that we're trying to join. So the questions, I mean, I could tell you some, but they're not going to be relevant for everyone else, right? But what is relevant is setting the expectations or trying to understand the expectations of the clients that you're interviewing with. So again, if you had someone on the inside or a HR talent person that you're working with or a recruiter, when you get to a technical interview, the first thing that you should be asking is what are the expectations of this interview? You should never, ever, in my opinion, go into an interview and say it's a technical interview and that's all you know. That is blasphemy in my word. <laughs> um, Every single time you go into any interview, you should really understand, at least from an agenda perspective, the context of what you're going into and speaking about, right? Because you need something to base your prep off of. You do this before. So let's say I'm working with you. So I am over, like I passed this introduction stage. And now you set an interview, a technical interview with like somebody, I don't know, senior data scientist. So what do I do? Do I ask you or do I ask that person, like, what are your expectations in email before the interview? So I know what to expect. This is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So let's say you got through the intro stage and that all went really well. Look, I'm really keen to continue. What's the next stage and what are the expectations? So if we're in that technical stage, I, sh I should be able to give you a very strong or at least some pointers in terms of what they're going to be looking for within that technical stage right and that's the kind of baseline for your preparation what we don't want to do is go really broad really generic and kind of not really know what goal we're shooting at and yes there are some really good sites out there where you can go and practice like coding questions and leak code and hacker rack and code forces and stuff like that but generally i think when we are prepping for an organization we want to keep it as focused towards that business as we possibly can which leans back on to i would only recommend that you do this if this is like the role that you actually want and this is the company that you actually want because it takes time and you need to look at the organizations and think well firstly you want to ask the question because that's going to give you the good baseline to work on but then secondly you want to start looking at the individual job specs and roles that you're applying for and interviewing for and start to work out the levels of essential v secondary v 
ideal skills because that's going to give you the prep and that's going to give you the direction of how much time you put on the prep. Because for me, I'd much rather the candidates that I work with spend a ton of time focused on really getting up to scratch on the core essentials of the role, spending 20% of their uh, like their prep time on like secondary skills. And then if we've got any time left over throughout that prep stage, work out what else is the like ideal other things that might be really beneficial to the role but aren't essential or secondary. Um, so the questions for me are, they're important because with the customers that I work with now, I do know some of the specific questions that they would ask. But I don't share them with candidates because then it would become unfair. Like if I said, this is exactly what they're going to ask you, then that's not fair, right? That's to you. Yeah. So I'll give people pointers about the areas of what's going to get spoken about. And then I'll set the expectations for how much they should know or how much they should be able to articulate themselves within those particular things, right? Do you mean like how deep in theory should go or like you can just cover the basic concepts like you don't need to go to the things like that right yeah for sure so i always think it's like if you imagine like three circles of like depth so the first point is fairly basic everyone should understand points about this then i would never skip over those points because candidates sometimes when you think that you know it if you've not been asked to articulate it for a while um, the fundamentals are always really important, right? So I never say skip over the kind of basic questions and the basic knowledge, because I think that if you get asked a question that's fairly simple and something that you probably do on a day-to-day basis, but you don't know how to articulate that in a really fluent way, how they read that is, do you actually know what that is? You know the answer, right? Yeah, exactly. You don't know the answer, but it's, you will start rambling and then you don't feel answered then, right? Yeah. So like to give you an example, one of the questions that catches like loads of candidates out in one of the clients that I work with is what do generators and decorators do? Yeah. And tons of people use them and they know them, but to articulate what they do is some people get really caught up on that. And then they look at that candidate and think, didn't really know it, like didn't really explain himself very well or herself very well on that particular point. And then it's just a little, it's not obviously a red flag, but it's a it's a cross next to your name in terms of one of the particular things, right? So I always say, definitely think about the fundamentals. You don't get caught up on anything that you know that you could easily work with, but just for some reason, interview nerves, being pressured in an interview, whatever, you just, you fuck that part up, right? Anyway, so first circle, like essential things that are real high priority and the fundamentals. Secondary, how do we level that up now? Like, what's the more difficult versions of this? And if I was interviewing you, what would my question be that's going to be a follow-up question to what I've just answered? Like, how do we make that question I've just answered correctly 10 times harder? What's the natural follow-up stage there? That's what I do usually. Like, I don't have a list of questions I ask. I just, uh, yeah, tell me about the project you worked on. And then the person tells about the project and they say, okay, I use this model, like, I don't know, random forest. And then I tell me about how random forest works. Yeah. And then I like start digging, like every time you say something, I try to follow up. Exactly. But I guess some people have different styles, right? Some people just have questions and then they maybe don't dig deeper, but want to, to check the breadth of your knowledge, right? Yeah. But then if that is the case, we should know that. 
So if someone's going in for like a breadth interview where they want to see how much you know in cloud and X and Y and Z and all of these areas, then that's what we should be prepping for. But we can't do that if we don't know the expectations from the business or from the recruiter or from the internal talent person, right? So for me, I always think that all businesses should not give people the answers and not give people like so much information that they can walk through the interview process easy because it does need to be, in my opinion, it needs to be tough and we need to work out if people can actually do it and they can think for themselves and all of that sort of stuff. But you can't set people up to fail. Like you can't be like, turn up for a technical interview and we'll see how you go. Like that for me is bullshit. So I think we definitely need to at least have context about what's going to get spoken about. And then you can prep for it, right? But then it still follows the same principle in my eyes. Like what's the follow-up question to this particular thing? Like what kind of flow chart would I ask candidates or would I ask myself if I was interviewing that will make this difficult? And then that gives you a lot more of a kind of like free flowing prep rather than being like, I think they're going to talk about this. I think they're going to talk about this. Realistically, if we're talking about this particular subject, most companies interview in the same sort of way as you do. So let's talk about this particular question. Let's see how they answer it. And then let's stem from that particular answer. So if I was prepping, for, like if I was a machine learning engineer or data scientist, this is how I'd, I'd be like, right, let's start on something that we definitely know is going to get spoken about. Outside of that, how do we work around that to build more of a breadth, but also depth within that particular thing? So I see that we have three questions. So maybe it's time we actually covered them. So the first question is what think of companies that mainly ask very theoretical questions, as if data scientists should all know mathematical and statistical formulas. I think it's if it's relevant for that business, then it's valid. How often is it relevant? Sometimes I feel, feel like people don't know what to ask the internet and just they just Google a list of questions and this list is theoretical and then just these questions yeah so if it's completely abstract these are our interview questions for no other reason apart from these are kind of the right things that you would ask in an interview for a data scientist then no that's bullshit like all of the interviews in my opinion should work backwards from the job responsibilities and what they're going to do on a day-to-day basis so if that's something that they're never going to touch or don't need to know then why ask it like What's the point? Because you studied this at university, you had really hard time, and you feel like everyone should also know the answers to this question. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've heard that before from clients I work with, but how much impact does that have on a candidate's ability to do the job right now? If they can recall something that they left, like learned six, seven, eight, nine years ago, of a very specific like thing what impact is that going to have on if they can do that right now i guess the flip side to that is no i don't think there's flip side actually i think they're bullshit <laughs> so how do you keep going with an interview if you flopped in between and feel uncomfortable mm. what does flopped mean it's like when you failed right? like if they bombed it bombed means like if you kind of failed right if you didn't do well if you fucked up yeah now it's uh, 18 plus podcast. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it depends. Sorry, I know it's a really awful answer, but <laughs> I guess it depends on how you've bombed and like how that feels in the scenario. It would be good if they could give me a little bit more of a specific 
And it depends if you really want that job. So if I've bombed in, I've bombed in an interview before, like absolutely. <laughs> but I really wanted to work there. So it didn't work out in the end, but I've got nothing to lose at this stage, right? So if you've bombed in an interview and you think I can do better than that, I, that was just a really bad day for me. I'd tell them I would go back to, and I've had multiple people that I've worked with who have bombed interviews. And I've said, look, take four weeks. We're going to prep on these particular things that you absolutely bombed on. And then we're going to retake that interview with that client. And people have got jobs from that. Ah, that's cool. Brilliant. It's happened. 100%. Because like for me, like when I bomb something, yeah, when I fail something, then I just, okay, I should have done it this way. And then I do some research and I start, okay, like this is what the answer should be. Right? And then I just don't do anything else. Just next time this question comes up, Maybe I answered better, but that's it. But what you say mm -hmm. is instead of, you know, just working through this and thinking of better answer, you reach out to the company and say, look, I had a bad day. Like I did a bit of uh, thinking and I want to retake it. And some companies actually agree to yep. interview for four weeks after. And then they take those people in the end. Yeah. So there's three examples I've got in my mind right now of people that have done that over the past like year with me. But anyway, so if you've bombed an interview, this all depends on if you really want it. If you really want it, then what have you got to lose, right? You should definitely go for it. But if you bombed an interview and you think, oh, this is, it's not for me anyway. I mean, I would just wrap that interview up really quickly and then just get out of there. But if you think I bombed that and I want it, exactly how you said, I would message the person that's just interviewed me. And I would be like, Alexi, absolutely bombed that interview. And that was all for um, I can 100% do better than that. Will you just do me a favor and give me three to four, four weeks? Let me come back and retake that. Can we do that? Most people would say, yeah. I'm just wondering what our recruiter would tell me to do. I never received a request like that. But, mm. uh, but it's interesting. Let's see if anyone who's listening to this interview right now and then will have an interview with me and hopefully you don't bomb it, but in case it happens. Just one more thing on that. So the risk there is that you do that and then you bomb again. Oh yeah, oops. <laughs> and I've had that and it is heartbreaking to be like, sorry man, you still wasn't good enough. Um, that's the risk that you take. But if you really want the thing that you're going after, I mean, I would take that risk every day. Questions from Alvin. Is it okay to apply to different roles in the same company within a short amount of time? If it's relevant, yeah, but I wouldn't like pep gun a company and apply for everything. Like, so, I mean, there are some people that would look at that and think, oh, that's a, a bad sign. I don't really see it as a bad sign. Um, as long as the, I just think it's a bit lazy to be like, apply all, click, 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 click. Because I've seen people that have applied for like work student jobs and then senior and principal engineers, like, you're, you're not looking at what you're doing, right? So, I don't think it's a bad thing, but just make sure it's super relevant and just keep it focused towards what you actually want to do. But I think we spoke about this last time. I think the best thing you can do is actually just reach out to the right people and speak to them directly. Otherwise, you just get put into a black hole of 10,000 other applications and you're probably never contacted. For me, the standing out part is about being different and doing something differently. So I would personally just reach out to the people and say, this is what I want to do and this is where the impact I can have with you guys. Uh, this is the impact I can have with you guys. These are the roles I'm thinking about. What should I apply for and where should I go? Yeah, I can add to that that I also see nothing wrong 
So we sometimes have two positions that look similar, but they are from different teams. And then, yeah, talk to the recruiter on the first interview. Say, yeah, apply to actually. And so we should be wrapping up. So the last thing I want to ask you is you have any book or other resource recommendations that you can give to listeners? Yeah. So on this document, I mean, I'll, I'll tell everyone now, Lead Code Hacker Rank, Code Forces, Algo Monster, um, Educative. I don't know if you've ever heard of them before. They're really, all of that, if you want to practice just questions and interview questions and engineering questions and science questions, they're really, really good. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy about lead code questions and all of this sort of stuff, but companies run interviews like that. So if you want to practice, they're really good places to start. But then equally, as I say, this document that I'm putting together about interview prep, I'm really sorry we didn't get to really dive into like a lot of the topics today, but this document, I'm going to work on it and I'm going to expand on it. So if anyone wants it, reach out to me on LinkedIn and Give me a couple of days to make it look like it's not been written by a five-year-old, and then I'll happily share that with everyone. Can I hear thoughts, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, potentially not. (laughs) Is there any chance we could include it in the show notes? It will be released like in a couple of weeks. Sure. Yeah, as I say, man, just give me a couple of days and I'll just that up and then we'll, uh, we'll add it in. Okay, it's always a pleasure talking with you. So second time was fun. Maybe we should uh, make a couple of years do the third one. Yeah. I'll see you in two years, man. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe earlier. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Thanks everyone for joining us too. I hope you enjoyed it and have a great weekend. Cool. All good guys. Speak to you soon. Bye everyone.